Okay, so I'm so excited. My friend Shari, we've known each other maybe about six months, I'd say. January. January. January is the first time we talked. Okay, so we talked in January. It's September. I'm super excited. This is Shari Muhima. Muhima. Muhima, yeah. Muhima. <laughs> I am I work on my I was practicing it. I won't have to say it again, but it's I it, it's M-U-H-I-M-A. We'll yeah. I'll share the link and everything. And and Rhonda was asking, do these um are these in sessions available afterwards? Absolutely. But I'm gonna get us started. So I'm glad to see everybody here. Thank you guys so much for for coming. And Shari, thank you. So Shari and I had this conversation. I guess it was right after the new year. And then we just we became best friends since this, then I think, right? Yeah, but I realized something about Shari that I had never really seen in anybody else. So as I talked to people, she is a brand strategist, but I think she's so much more. That description of you doesn't encompass you at all. So what she was able to do, and we'll talk about, I'll make her tell you this story. But one of the things is that she, um, because I think she is a strategist in her mind, uh, she's always one wanting to serve. She definitely has a server's heart of wanting to make sure that she's communicating through her body language or through how she is interacting so that people can perform at their uh, comfortably and at their best. And I, she did this for one of the jobs that she had in the past, which I think she was probably like, I don't know why you're asking about this, Diane, right? And when we first talked, but I was like, oh my gosh, this was, this is amazing, this story. So I should probably just have you start with that. But Shari, tell them a little bit of your background. You are in London now, but you're Congolese, right? Yeah. You're from the Congo. So, um, yeah. So I, I was born in Lille in the north of France. Um, and then I, we moved back home in Congo because that's where my family's from. I lived in Kinshasa. And then when I was 17, I went to uni back to Lille. And after my three years of bachelor's, I did a communication degree. I wanted to work because I wasn't really sure. I wanted to specialize into, you know, get to know yourself and all the shebang. So I said to my mom, I'm going to work for one year. And then I arrived in London because she had a friend who was a business owner here. And then I got into working into financial services in 2012. That's when I arrived in London and I never left. Uh, I never left. I never went back to do masters or anything. I just enjoyed London so much. Um, Why? What about so London? Did you the, did you like? Oh my god! Um, it is the diversity of the people that I meet and the mindset that the people that I meet here is just like they make you believe that everything is possible. And in in France, not to not to bash the French, the right? French people, yeah. but it's it's just French people are way more. I don't know if it's conservative is the word. It's just that there's always arguments and debates about everything. As soon as you just get out of the lane a little bit, people point fingers at you. Mm. And I may be wrong, but I have felt like being different and being mm. me was way easier here in London than he has been anywhere else mm. yeah i love that that's yeah that's why so you I were able to f- have 
have your voice and find your voice and change and adjust. And you didn't have to try to fit in a box where you didn't feel like. Exactly. Um, I mean, I'm not going to complain because in Lille, I was in a circle where, where I had the, the best of friends. Uh, the, the people that I was around were just telling me, you can do anything. So I was around the right people. It's just that I felt that uh, being Black in France, I, I, I was hitting a ceiling very early. Hmm. Um, I arrived here and I remember when I came, I went to the bank for the first time. And then a black lady welcomed me. And I remember picking my phone and saying, mom, black people work here. And, and then she just laughed. She just laughed. I had never seen a black person in a bank in France, in the city I, I was in. Yes, never. Wow. Yeah. So Demi says he wholeheartedly agrees about with all of what you're saying about London, that he said, London hugged me from day one. Is that kind of what you felt like, too? Like it was just very accepting? Listen, I, I don't have close family here and, and I haven't left. We all talk about loneliness. See? And, and every day I'm telling you, we talk about loneliness, but ne- nobody leaves. Nobody leaves. Is that we we hear for a reason and and. And everybody comes with a mission and a purpose and, and you want to leave if you, if you feel like you've accomplished it. Right. So, yeah, Mm. I agree. Mm, I love that. That's really cool. Okay. So that gets us up 2012. You moved to London, Mm -hmm. right? So now it's almost 10 years later. What were you doing? I know. What were you doing in London in the beginning? Because you've, you've, uh, been exploring you've studied you've done different things than what maybe you had a background in yeah so uh when i arrived um i just wanted a job because i just wanted money to be able to 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 be financially free from from my mom <laughs> who was always asking what i did with my money and uh, so i worked um as a loan officer in that uh company with um, my mom's friends and I stayed there for a year and eight months. Then I moved into another company that was doing similar the, the, the similar things. I was still an officer. And I've worked in that field for almost six years. And what I've been doing was because I have that background in communication and marketing, and I, I mean, I'm always about innovation and change. I always had that kind of dual role where I was doing loans, I was doing videos, I was doing market research and, and the marketing on the side. And I went in a full-time job in communication. When I finally got that job, I went into a design engineering company. I was there for six months, but then they, because they were a consultancy and they were not getting the money regularly enough, they made me redundant and they closed one of their offices down in South uh, England. So we were four people uh, that were made redundant at the time in 2019. So mm. that's when I decided that I wanted to work for myself. And then did you know what you wanted? You wanted to do more marketing or communication kind of stuff? I wanted to try the creative industry. The creative industry had that thing where I was just like, I'm a creative person. Just let me breathe. I just want to do, I want to try. So I signed up to any kind of courses I could find with the little money I had. Um, but the, the, the redundancy had the toll on my mind and my mental mm-hmm. health. It was not easy, but I was trying to, you know, being on, at home and, and studying and I learned graphic design 
And then I wanted to learn the business side of things because I didn't know how to run a company. Uh, so I contacted um, uh, a guy called Coffee that I had met uh, when I was working in that uh, the financial services company. I tried to, to have a business and then he was helping people from uh, Black and Asian uh, backgrounds uh, to run their businesses. It's a free course. So I did the course in September 2019, August, September 2019. And at the time I was homeless. Uh, so it was a lot to, to take and deal with finding a place to live, going from places to places, from one friend to another. Um, but I did it. And then I started having a little small gigs, you know, $80 the logo, $100 a logo, $200 for an entire brand identity. And uh, in 20, end of the year 2019, I went back home because it was, it was very much needed. I needed a break. So I went back home. Being with family just made me feel so good. And I came back and I was like a different person. I had found a job in a kind of corporate environment. It was attractive because of the money. And, um, but every day I was going there, I was always wondering whether or not it was the right fit for me. Mm. I felt extremely uncomfortable. Was it creative? Was it a creative job or was it? Yeah, it was creative as, a, no, it was like, I was kind of marketing manager, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's creative because I was doing a bit of graphic design. I had to write. I had to, everything was on my plate. I had to do literally everything because I was part of a very small team. And then my two colleagues were dealing with the clients and I had to deal with, with the entire background system, communication ecosystem. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. But what felt wrong and uncomfortable was giving my time away for something I didn't believe in oh. just for the sake of money mm. because now that I'm thinking about it it's like it was a small company yes um my colleagues were awesome um the we had the flexible timing I could come work at eight uh, or come and work at 10 it was okay great pay cool but then I was just like it's it's not me right coming with suit and tie and, and blazers and all the kind of I felt I felt uncomfortable um, and because you weren't a blazer girl or because you were a blazer girl and nobody wanted nobody was in blazers. No, no, no. I'm, I'm not a blazer girl. Like I'm not a blazer girl either. It's, it's just a, a, it's it may sound stupid, but I grew up in Africa and then we don't have that. I don't have the reflex of wearing a jacket until today. It still feels a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm just wearing it. Oh, I have I the know. reflex of wearing a jacket, but it'll be a fleece. Like my sister's like, maybe you can get a jacket that looks nicer. I'm like, no, I I'm good with my fleece. I should just stay in Colorado. <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 I can, I can like fashion. Right. But then if you want to ask me what I feel the most comfortable in into, I mean, it would, I would have my sleeves completely naked, right? My, my arms will be naked. My shoulders will be naked. I'm the summer kind of fashion type. And you're in London. And I, <laughs> you're saying that you're extremely hot. And look what I'm wearing right now, right? I know. And, I know. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so we're, we're painting this picture of, um, so in 2020, what happens? Um, 
because I, I'm going to take you back to the, I think it was before when, yeah. okay, keep going. Yeah. So I, I, when I lost my, um, that's job where I was not comfortable, it, it ended up not working out with the, the, my team. So we kind of decided that we were kind of part ways. And that's when my, um, I have a, an uncle in Switzerland. He told me, you know what? It's okay. Uh, let it go. Don't mind. Just keep moving. And he started giving me uh, projects and I started helping him. So I did uh, start getting like thousand pounds for doing a social media guide, um, logos here and there. I mean, I loved getting the money because it was the beginning of the pandemic. So I was extremely grateful for having that work. And I've been doing that all the way up to, well, June this year. Yeah. So doing like videos, graphic design, copywriting, websites, uh and then i just realized shari this is not your strength it doesn't make sense to sell something that you're not exceptionally good at hence the brand strategy okay so then when did you start learning or seeking out or doing courses in because i know you've done marty newmeyer's course um when did you start doing brand strategy or or figuring out learning so i i was looking at you know yeah. In, in the pro group, many people were talking about brand strategy. Many people were talking about like um, how they became from designer to brand strategist. And, you know, they tell you basically get paid for thinking. Don't be don't be an order taker anymore. And I'm like, oh, huh, I don't want to be an order taker anymore. Let me see what it is. Um, so uh, Melinda is a person that I kind of followed very closely. And then I saw that she had that badge level C brand strategist. And I'm like, OK, no, you know. It's okay. Then I saw two, three other people kind of getting certified and everybody talking about it. And then I checked it out and just I paid. I was just like, let's do this. So I remember the very first time that I talked to you was uh, the last day of my very first session with um, with Martin Neumeyer. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was it was awesome. And uh I remember I was just like, just this one, Shari, no more courses. And then in the end, they're like, oh, we're going to have level two master, like uh, level C part two. And I'm like, okay, get my money. Then I paid the second one that I completed. I think it was in May. And that one was a little bit harder, but it was still very interesting. And then I said that I will stop there. Then they talked about part three. But I'm, I'm really like, I was just, I really didn't pay for it right yet. And then I realized that for what I want to do, it may be important to learn about brand architecture because I'm not the graphic designer who just wants to have certification. I really want to combine brand strategy with business strategy Mm -hmm. and the marketing and communication side of things, right? Um, The storytelling is very important, but I mean, I tried graphic design. It's just not me. So I'm going to let that go completely entirely. And I really want to focus on that kind of strategy part. Okay. So I want to get to this story that, and I don't remember where I know I call it at a bank because you were saying you're a loan officer, but I believe it was a nonprofit or, and redundant in America, we call that being let go. They, 
they um, were downsizing, um, right? So I think it's just a term. I just want to make sure people know what that what that is. So they downsized. It was made redundant. So they weren't they were getting rid of the position completely. It wasn't like you did a bad job and they were letting you go. It was about the position and money usually, right? They of were, of course, right? Yeah. So it had nothing to do with you, but uh, in our brain, feels personal, though. Oh, amen. It does. It doesn't <laughs> matter if they're like getting a whole campus. You're like, I can fit in a closet person, right? I would do, right? But it also is that maybe they didn't understand what your superpowers were, right? What you could do, but. One of these things. So where, when were you at the place that I call the bank that was the nonprofit? It's, it's, um, uh, I'm not sure I can give the name here. It's, oh no, you don't, have, but yeah, when, what year, it, what year were you there? It, it was from 2014 all the way to 2018, I think. Okay. Late, so I want to, yeah, I want to paint this because this is about this. You're just being an employee. You're just yes. doing, but this is something that comes innately to you because we've had other conversations and you're able yep. to just see these things. And this is why I think like Austin's here. He runs a, a, a small team and it's internal, but he has to communicate to his customer, the customers, mm -hmm. right? He, and then he also has to make sure that the team is okay. So this is, um, this is, these are important skills. And sometimes we are really good at the external. We can communicate with the, the customers. We understand that, but we might have trouble communicating with the rest of the employees, right? Or there's a, there, maybe it's our manager or our boss is lacking in that. So really having this, and this is something that you did. So I want you to paint the picture. I don't know if you remember the story exactly the way you told it to me, but I can uh, pinpoint it if you need help. But yes. You, you want to tell them the story. So you're working as this loan officer. Every year, right? Um, we, we, I'm going to have to explain. So the, the company I used to work with, because it's a not-for-profit, not for it doesn't have a lot of money. So the digital sides of our systems, we were not there yet. Um, everything was paper and copy and archiving and very archaic. Uh, which was a pain in our butts because um, every year at the beginning of the year, we had to close the offices and stop serving the customers just to do admin work. And by admin work, it was literally taking all the contracts from our folder, from our uh, drawers, scan them, attach the scans to clients' uh, files, then put them in envelopes and in a box to kind of send the box away. And I just the storage, right? The, it was like yeah, it was, uh, yeah. the boxes Literally, were going to storage. Had, yeah. But in between, they would put the boxes in the lunchroom or the in break the lunch room. room. Or the, will be in, yes. For the internal team. The customers didn't see this. So they're like eating among all these boxes of. And yes. how many times a year did you have to do this? Uh, once, but it would take an entire week. So I think that's quite quite a long time, right? And, to go. And, now you have to eat lunch so early because there's only enough room for you to eat lunch because used well, to, we, you could, right? It, it, or maybe I'm exaggerating, but that's how it, no, it, we the were not eating keep closing in. We were not eating lunch at all in there. There was no no space to eat lunch. So the, 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 the room was just full of drawers and you just had the drawers and a tiny fridge on the corner 
And at the top of the fridge, you had like the microwave and you probably had like a cupboard where we could keep our foods, but there was literally no space to keep anything else or have a table. So we had to, to hide in some space in the office or eat outside. There was, that office was a nightmare. After working in that place, to be honest with you, I couldn't take the, the, the tube anymore, the subway, as you call oh, it yeah. to Americans. Uh, because uh, um, there was no lights. We don't know what's happening outside. I just couldn't stand being on the ground at all. Um, so what I've realized is that the, the, having the, the, the file sitting there all year long was just unnecessary. So I just told them that what we could do was to scan the files directly, put them in the box, and skip the part where we keep the files in the, the, the room for I don't know how many months where it's just pointless to have that there and then just send them right away into storage, which we started doing. And, and then and then one. So the employees were happier because now they had a place they could eat. There was a place yes. for them. Yes. And you didn't have to take a week off. You cl- didn't have to close the nonprofit at nope. all. You could continue to have. So this solved two internal issues. But yes. they just weren't thinking about it or they didn't understand the process or the flow of and, and it could be that maybe somebody you're working with has an archaic way of doing mm, something. I, I, to be honest with you, I think um, uh, and, and, and this is something that you told me and that many people told me, not everybody thinks like me. It is obvious to me. I'm like, how can you not see this? And people are like, yeah, but I, I'm not like you. You have your specific way. And I used to think that everybody was wired like that. It's just that you have to be the type of person that tries to see how you can improve. And, and you have to, a lot of people just accommodate with what they, 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 what I call a problem. Where I live, for example, we have a broken window in the, uh, the living room. We have a, a broken handle on our bathroom door. I come and I see all these things. And all I want to do is like, we need to fix this. We need to fix that. And we need to fix this. And the flatmate who has been living here for five years just doesn't care. Right. He's been here for five years, but he just settles. He just doesn't mind. And you have a lot of people. Then I become the annoying one because I point out everywhere where I see problems. And I try to kind of change and improve things. But certain people just don't do it because they don't see it. Or maybe they see it, but they don't care enough to actually make the change. Or maybe they don't have enough confidence to step up and say, hey, I think this could be better. Because some of it could be that we're maybe we're doing something with a client and we see that they could do it better. But we don't we are like, well, we don't know your business like you do. Or, But sometimes it's just about offering, hey, have you thought about this? Like, and some people are like, I remember I was like, oh man, I'm gonna have to do all this like this. And my friend Rafi was like, oh, there's auto, you can automate that. And I was like, what, what, what is this? Uh, You know? And it was like, yeah. And I was like, so now whenever I think it's not possible, I'm like, I'm just going to ask Rafi because he's, I'm like, Rafi can do it. I bet he can figure it out or he's, and he hasn't ever not been able to figure something out. So I think that it's, it's just having, um, being able to talk through problems, but to me, so you were solving some internal problems. 
probably around the office, obviously the people who owned it or people who were running it were happy because now they didn't have to close, right? They didn't, um, they, the, the flow of work, it wasn't that they weren't um, getting their job done because they were spending too much time scanning. It didn't take much time at all to do that, right? And now you had a place where you could have um, a place to eat or rest instead of having to hide, right? It just seemed... Yes. It just seemed obvious to you, but it wasn't obvious to all. I wonder how many years they'd been doing that. Like somebody thought that was the solution, right? To whatever, right? The I have no idea, right? I had been there like four years and they had been doing this for probably 10, 10 years. I mean, for forever since they opened. It's something that they always had been doing. How many and years in did you say this? It was probably... Two to three years. You're yes. like, oh, this isn't just a one-time thing. Like this is a problem, right? Because you could kind of see it. Yes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, but then the external part. So um, you had two solutions. I don't think they took you up on one solution, but tell them about the external. So this is about um, external communication. This is how we dress. This is how uh what time we get to work, right? So tell them about this. You were uh, giving loans to people who were... Um, the, the, the clients that we were serving are immigrants, if, if you want to make it short. They are people that come from uh, Latin America. They come from Portugal, from Spain. They come from Africa, Nigeria, um, and Congo. And we had a lot of people from Guinea-Bissau as well. Uh, you have a lot of people that were from Poland. So they're mainly people who don't necessarily speak English confidently. And you, right, so you we, speak how many languages? Five. Five. I speak one, people. I love Shari. Okay, keep going. Thank goodness she speaks English. <laughs> um, so um, it, it is. Um, it was about making this, this clients comfortable enough because... The, the point of having, of serving them, right? The point of serving them was to make sure that they get serviced where the banks couldn't help them because mm. the banks don't give loans to anybody. It's very hard to get a loan from the bank. And then there are people who mainly, it's a short, short-term solution, right? They don't need big amounts to get mortgages or anything. They are mainly here to, to come and sometimes some people wanted to pay for rent some people just need to do some shopping you know when it's back to school some people want for christmas some people most of them what they would do would come borrow money to send money abroad to help family members who had uh, medical uh, necessities or anything so it's really to support them in their daily lives and support them and support their families abroad that's why they come so they have, first of all, the fear of being rejected. They are afraid of not getting the money. They're afraid of not being understood. They're, they're mainly afraid. They lack confidence. So it is important to me, I believe, to have people that look like them. Mm -hmm. I was, and it's not to brag, I was the person that people would mostly come to because of my background and the fact that I speak many languages. Uh, Jamaican would relate to me. So the people from the Caribbean would relate to me. People from Nigeria, from Congo would relate to me. 
uh, uh, Latinos would relate to me because they will come and they will talk to me. I speak their language. I make sure that I understand them. So they will tell me things that they wouldn't say to my managers, right? So um, I knew stuff that nobody else could could know. Um, so that gave me kind of insights. So I, I was in the position where it was key for me to actually know and, and tell my managers where to direct the, the business so that we could mm. serve them and help them better. So that my decisions are based on what they need and not what we want to only. So that you were able to speak to them in a way that it built trust. Yes. At the same time, unless I don't smile, because I have a face where sometimes people don't, people approach me very easily. Uh, it may be the baby face. I don't know. But certain people do approach me very easily. And then because I, I speak to them, I, I am professional in a way that I respect you, but I still have that kind of friendly way of talking to you that makes them feel like they can tell me about their lives. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and when you know their lifestyle, when you know their worries, when you know their fears and you know what makes them happy, then you, you know how to serve them best. And serving them best is what makes your business grow. Yeah. Demi says it's the open palm, Shari. People trust people who show their hands, right? And you're interested in them. You're asking them. You you told me they would call you auntie. They would bring you meals. No, they, covered, they, or they you would call me, them. Yeah, they would ask me to call them auntie. And, oh. and it's, um, it's, oh, my mom is there. Yeah, I see. <laughs> um. So Congolese people have that thing and, and it's something that um, I had that my colleague didn't. I would see, um, we have in our culture, when we see a person who's older than us, it's, and it's automatic for me, I would, I would call, you have that kind of reverence of mm -hmm. respect, mm -hmm. right? And, and I call, and when they come, I, I call them auntie and I have, uh, I use a tone of voice that makes them understand that I respect them, right? I remember this because of my complexion, I could be from anywhere, depending on my accent and the language I speak, people would think I come from any kind of country in the world. There's only one woman once who came in and then she told me, are you Congolese? And I said, you're the very first person in my life that can guess that I come from there. And she said, it's the way I welcome them. And by the way I welcomed them and received them, she could know that I was from her country. That's cool. Did you one time tell me a story? I know this is Demi's like, golly, Diane, so weird. Uh, but you you also noticed a Congolese woman. At, she was on the bus with you or at the bus stop. Was that you? Yes, in France. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That was not a really okay, good nice story. Remember. That woman yeah. traumatized me and she was really, really not nice. <laughs> and and she is um, the woman that actually, um, she traumatized me to the point that I don't know her name. I don't, I have never seen her. I've seen her only once in my life. It was my very first year. Okay, so that's very personal, but I'm going to say that story. No, very you don't have to, you can say rooster and we can just move on. No, 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 no. Um, 
because I grew up in Congo and then I, I mean, it's a country where people are mainly black and I was in an environment where people are mainly mixed from Lebanese, from Indians. We have people from everywhere. I arrived in France in Lille and I was expecting more diversity. And I remember I picked up my phone and my mom, my mom called me and she was like, oh, how's everything going? And I said, mom, everybody's white here. And then she laughed and she said, it's their country. I don't know what you expected, right? So she told me, don't worry, when you're going to go to university, you're going to meet people that are going to be uh, more di- from different places, right? So I ex- had all my expectations on that very first day at school. I was just like, I'm going to meet people like me. And I arrived at the bus stop and I see that woman and she speaks the language that I know. She is the perfect representation of what I've been craving for the past three days, right? So I, I have that thing where... I have like stars in my eyes and I'm all excited. I'm like, oh my God, me and you were the same. And she's like, no, we're not. So yeah, it was not a very nice story. She traumatized me. And I tell that story to everybody just to make sure that people understand how people in France are not necessarily very nice. But isn't how I wonder if that story makes it into your job at the bank and how you approach anybody that you are never going to be, you're always like, we are alike to anybody. You're always, no, no matter if they were from Jamaica or they were from London or if they were from anywhere, you're like, I'm never going to make the w- anybody feel the way that woman made me feel. I try to find similarities uh, anywhere I can. Anywhere. Uh, maybe be because sometimes you just especially living in a country where you don't have your family close to you you're you really are trying to kind of build that thing where you just want to see that we may be different physically we may be different culturally but we we do have something in common and we do have something where we can actually come and build that bond and 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 try to have that thing where I can call you my friend my sister my brother my cousin whatever right you find common grounds so that you can build that, that, that connection that, that you create that family outside of your family. Isn't it funny that I totally remembered it incorrectly because that's how you are. You are just warm. And I was like, Oh yeah, you made a friend on the bus. And you're like, no, no. I did not make a friend <laughs> on the bus that lady, but it's because of how you are, you are so warm. And so, so we'll get back to the loan uh, place. So you are, uh, you give them the respect, you welcome them. You treat everybody the same. You in um, you you give them space, right? You make space for them. And my mom's here too. Hey, both our moms are here. Hey, moms. Hello. Okay. So, what? Um, then they say, "Hey, we want you to start dressing smart." And me and you both would be like, "What? We're not what the, uh, blazer girls. We're not blazer girls." I had a problem because. It is frustrating for me. And that's part of the reason why I decided to work for myself. It is outrageous for me to come and tell you, hey, Diane, you're the boss. Um, but I, I deal with the clients every day. And this is what I think their fears are, their needs are. And this is how we can serve them best. And this is how it's going to make us bigger and, 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 and have stronger needs. And we're going to have more and more people coming in. That is the way that I believe we can be successful. You listen to me and you say, oh, okay, fine. But then you make a decision that will actually stop them from coming. You're not even finding another way to success. You are literally changing the entire direction. And and it's almost 
as if you're turning your backs on them. Because all you care about is about the image that you're going to have maybe on the investors or whoever you're trying to impress, but you are not aligning your values and your culture to mm. what your customers are looking for. Right. And so then what happened? So what happened is I remember it was difficult because none of us were happy about being smart and, and having people telling us how to dress, especially if you're uncomfortable. It's like you have to come with, you're no longer wearing trainers or whatever. You have to look smart and whatever. And I remember I went and I was like, if at least it would change something and do something to our customers, then I would be happy to do so because it's about them, right? But then I remember I went to one client and I said, do you mind if I come and I'm wearing a hoodie and trouser and, and, and a jeans and, and a pair of sneakers? And she told me, I don't care about how you dress. They don't care about how we dress. They care about being heard, being respected, being listened to and having their money. That's what they come for. They want the, the money. That's, that's why they're here. So um, they, that was the very first decision that they made where I felt like it would bring a gap between yeah. us and the clients because the banks dress smart and, and, and they, we deal with people who are already afraid and uncomfortable because they don't speak the language and, and they just don't know how to approach us. But I mean, I don't know how Diane, how do you feel when you go to a place and it's all fancy and people are wearing dresses and they have high heels and they, they just don't look like you. I mean, I go there and I feel out of place. I like being, <laughs> I like looking good and being sexy, but then at some point you're just like, I don't wear makeup. Me neither. Right? I don't wear makeup and, and I'm happy not wearing makeup. But then I feel extremely self-conscious when I have to go to a wedding and people want me to wear makeup. <laughs> Fabio says me neither. <laughs> right? So it's like you're they coming in and they're already like, uh, hey, uh, can I come in? Like, am I okay? Do I belong here? And now you're just showing, you know, you're dressing up in a way that won't make them, you don't look approachable anymore. Not yeah. as much as you were before. Right. I, I hate that. Absolutely. I, yeah, I'm, I, this is, it looks like a skirt, <laughs> but it's really short people. It's a skirt, right? I, I, I like, yeah. I'm I'm with you. So so one one other thing you noticed is that a lot of these people were working at night and they were waiting for the bank to open or the place. I call yes. it a bank, right? And you noticed this also. You're like, we could serve our people better if tell them the rest of that. We opened earlier, or if we had a, a way to do uh applications online. Um because um the majority of people, because they don't speak English, they, they, they do cleaning. Then when you clean, you're working at nights. And then some of them have two to three jobs uh, between hospitals, between uh, cleaning offices. And then they would have to come very early in the morning. So I would arrive sometimes like we would open at nine and I would try to arrive around eight, eight thirty because I wanted to have breakfast. But then this is something that we couldn't do because you would arrive and you'll find people at the door already. 
And then you're trying to stand your ground and be like, we're not open yet, come back. And then they look at you and they tell you, please, they literally are begging you to understand that they are exhausted. They are tired. They will not be able to come in another time. So because we couldn't, you cannot ask people to necessarily open earlier. We tried to open on Saturday. So we were working on Saturdays and we also were trying to, uh, we pushed uh, online applications. That's when I was trying to try to go digital. So, but those are two things like they could have opened earlier. They, they probably they could, could have opened, they could have had a 6 a.m. shift if they really wanted and people would have been there ready and it would have been would. serving those people. So it's like maybe in our business, what can we do that, serves better. I know my mom thinks I'm crazy because I have a meeting every other every other week at 5 a.m. It's not 5 a.m. for Shari, right? It's not with Shari, but it's in England. It, so it's uh, 11 a.m. for them, but it's 5 a.m. for me. Well, what else am I doing at 5 a.m.? Nothing, right? I'm learning. I, I'm either learning or I'm sleeping, right? So yeah, might as well. I know Mario gets up super early too. I know Joey does also. Joey and Mario are in Hawaii. But it's like, uh, it's a little bit of sacrifice. It's a rescheduling. So they may think, oh, who's going to want to do this? But there would be some people, if they got out at three, then that means they're home with their kids. They would they would work from six to three. No problem, right? There would be some people who would really want to do that. And then that meets those. So where are we just doing, because that's what everybody else does? Or where are we, where could we, right? And that's exactly my point doing things simply because it is the norm and what is expected is something that I personally mm, I, I don't understand they could have changed the business model but then you would need to find people that would be happy to come at 6 a.m to do the job that's some that's that's another issue right you probably have less people but if they had for example a shift from 6 a.m to I don't know 1 p.m 2 p.m., right? And then you know that th these people will just come early in the morning, you do the job, and then you let people go. It, it probably would work too, right? Find a ways to kind of satisfy the customers. And then you, you just have that business model that is completely different. But then you, when you say that you are there for your customers, that you listen to them, you are truly really doing it. So I, I want to talk about this a little bit. So in this situation, you had uh, other employees that were with you. So you're building trust with them just because you're working with them. So when you uh, propose mm -hmm. to change something or do something, and as this, I, I think about Austin, he works in, he's a designer and he's running marketing thing. I don't know, Austin, I'm messing up your title, but whatever. He's one of my kids. So he um, he's running the whole, he's communicating with other people. How can he build trust with other employees when when you're asking not just your boss, hey, let's try this. What um, what's what are some things that are uh, trust builders for that? Because you've explained us about trust building with the customer, which is mainly listening, looking and being approachable and welcoming and really caring what to serve them, not just to serve yourself. Right. I think that a lot of people who struggle to build trust, they, it's a transparency problem where you're not transparent enough. Nobody will trust you. 
I'd rather come and tell, uh, yeah, I'd rather have a conversation with you. If I come in and tell you, hey, Diane, I've been working here for the past five years and and I do more than what I'm supposed to, right? I'm a, my, my job title says I'm a loan officer, but then I do the marketing. And then on top of that, I'm also acting like the manager of the branch, but then I don't get paid for it. Like, is it possible that we could discuss the pay rise, right? I would rather have you tell me that you don't have the budgets, that you don't have the priorities, or you don't believe that, I don't know, I have the skills to, to, to become officially a manager, whatever it is, but just tell me. Don't make me walk around and just tell me stories that make no sense. Just, just tell me what it is. I, I would prefer having conversations that is difficult to have. If we have to argue, if we have to break classes, let's just do it because we're humans. They are going to have emotions, right? Mm. And I, I feel more comfortable with, with having this type of conversations than, than just faking, pretending. And and then there's something I hate is like the elephant in the room, right? I would always point out at the elephant in the room, like, can we talk about you know that thing over there? Like, so how please. do you do that? How do you do that in a in a way that um, because I know you've been able to do this. How do you start those hard conversations um, and and still do it in a loving way? Because that's what gonna, I've seen you do. Really? Because I feel like I. I I still learn. And my mom is there. She can confirm. She tells me all the time, be mindful of, I, I mean, I, I can try. And I think today I'm more aware of it, but before I was way younger and I have that thing where I'm a very emotional person. So I would come and be like, no, not this way. Right. And I would just come and it's either black or white. And, and it doesn't work all the time. Right. They actually work very hardly, <laughs> but um. I think that today you just have to come and just be be honest and real. I mean, I, I just come. <laughs> My mom says, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, what I try to do is I try to come and, and just, uh, yeah, like Anne said, you, you be an empath. You come and you say, I'm aware that, you know, you're uncomfortable with dealing with this, but can we please try and, and find common grounds? Can we just please try and talk about this? Because... This is how I feel. This is how I think you feel. And then you'd really try to, to put words on, on your emotions and what you want and ask for it, right? So it's a, a mix between confidence and, and, and respect and empathy. So isn't that, it, it, when you have that, when you have that clarity, that you can't do brain strategy unless you understand those parts of those what's uncomfortable for the customer or, right? So some of these things, these things that are maybe just innate to you, now you have this that you've always done. Maybe you've always challenged or you've said, hey, we need to fix this. Maybe it hasn't always been the uh, clearest path, but you're getting better because now you're learning, oh, this is a tool I can use. So I wanted, I want you to be able to explain the difference between brand strategy and between discovery? Because I know that we've had this conversation where maybe a lot of people are confused uh, about what that is and when you use it. But when you're talking about this, this empathy, you're coming, you're listening, you're um, willing to hear and you're asking questions, is that discovery? Is that brand strategy? Right? Do, do you have to yeah. do this to be able to do the brand strategy because you have to have clarity? Okay. Um, uh, can I uh, share my screen? 
So um, this is what brand strategy is, right? You have the, the, the brand strategy entirely. The goal of brand strategy, the way I learned it from Marlene Meyer, is to outmaneuver the competition. So the brand strategy lies in here, in the positioning, because this is where you differentiate yourself, right? Now, where the confusion starts is that many people believe that brand strategy is doing the brand identity, right? Which is logo, websites, the marketing collateral and everything. This here, which is the visual expression, identity and presence is only 10% of what the brand strategy is. And it's the thing that you do at the end. After dealing with the, the purpose, mission, values, and the vision, dealing with the competition and defining your X factor, you have to establish the character, what kind of personality you're going to have, the messaging and the story of your brand. Then you get to the logo and the website because it's going to be the, the logical kind of following of everything that was done before. So when I do the brand strategy session, me personally, I focus in the orange part, right? I don't want to do the design anymore. But the questions I ask in there and the understanding I try to get is to be able to help my clients to position themselves so that they can stand out in the market, so that their customers, they can have more customers buying more of their products at a higher price, right? Then um, the discovery is what I do before I reach that part of brand strategy. The discovery, there are several ways of doing it. The way I do it is I, I, I do the discovery right away when I have my sales call. So when somebody calls me and they're like, oh, I heard that you do brand strategy or somebody passed me your number because I mainly get referrals. Um, I, I ask questions to understand what their problem are. Then after I understand what the problem is, I assess whether or not I can help that person then I decide how I'm going to help them. That's what discovery is. You unveil the client's problem to be able to find, uh, to see how you're going to help them, right? Now, with a tool like Core, Core is a tool that you do, is, it's not a discovery that you do over the phone. It's better to have like a facilitation workshop. And that's why a lot of people conf uh, confuses it with brand strategy. Um, it's because you have the facilitation. The core doesn't help you with the purpose. It doesn't help you with the vision, the values, and the positioning either. But core helps you do strategic design, for example, right? And it helps you, um, what was I going to say? So the, the core uh, uh, discovery is a tool to be able to, to, to do the, the, the last part here where you have the 10%, the identity and the visual expression and the deliverables come after the, the meeting. What I do is I get my discovery during the sales call, then we see if we're a right fit. So that means that I don't get paid. People who do core usually get paid for that. I don't get paid for my discovery. I get paid for this brand strategy, right? Is, is that clear? Yes, that is much clear. So it is just, so brand strategy is made up of a whole bunch of tools that you're pulling together. Sometimes core or a discovery session, it, um, more than likely there's going to be something in that, but uh, it's just one of the tools. Brand strategy is larger and gives you a lot of 
a lot of things that a lot of people would be able to use because you're doing voice. Um, it's not just the visual. Yes. It could, right? So the brand strategy. So for example, me as the brand strategist, I would come in here in the direction. And then for the expression, because I'm not going to do it myself, I would need a copywriter. I would need a web designer and a brand, uh, and brand identity designer or a graphic designer. That would need these people all in the, the expression kind of side. Nice. Okay. That was good. I'm glad because I just wanted to make sure we have had that conversation and, um, and you, you saw a need. And so you created a course, very good presentation. I agree. Paulette. Um, so you created a course for photographers. So why photographers, why did you feel like photographers weren't, uh, doing this right or or what did you saw a, a hole kind of in their in their industry yes it's not that photographers are not doing it right um so there is one thing that i've realized is like if you go on uh stock uh libraries mm -hmm. the free ones you have unsplash has kind of good quality but then what happens is that everything is the same and you don't get much diversity and and then I know that a lot of people were complaining that there is not enough storytelling mm. in the photos that you find in stock libraries. That was number one. Number two, uh, many photographers, especially in the pro group, you have a lot of people who come and they like, oh, um, they want to be more strategic in their approach because branding is becoming branding is becoming the new black. Everybody talks about brands. Everybody talks about storytelling. Everybody talks about how a brand is not a logo. Um, but everybody who talks about branding talks about how you go from being a graphic designer to a brand strategist, and they don't talk about any other creatives. But then brands, like I said, when you want to do the expression right, you need the brand designer, you need the web designer, you need a copywriter, and everybody else that comes in the mix. Photographers are one Photographers, of those people, right? Writers. Writers, yeah. they are important because when you do the campaigns and you hire them, you need to be able to to talk to them in a way that they understand, but then you need to find the common grounds. If I come and I tell you I'm a loving rebel, please help me take photos to that would represent that. You need to understand what I mean. So I created that course to help photographers become more strategic by using one specific tool, which is the brand archetypes. Right. So the brand archetypes, they are basically different 12. The main ones are 12 profiles where you you get uh, traits and characters. And this is what a lot of people use uh, in the creative industries uh, to. To instill the human side to their stories, to their character, so that it becomes relatable. Mm -hmm. And I think. Uh, photographers who want to be more strategic should understand what are the different brand archetypes because it is a start to be able to be more personable and to be able to be more different and have uh, find their styles, right? So that everybody can have a way to kind of instill their own voice, but into photography. Yeah. I, so, um, me and you are friends with Anne. Anne does these awesome collages. If she was going out in the world in these collages, she could actually take your um, your 
becoming a strategic photographer and just change the word photographer to collage artist. And yeah. because it is the the stuff you're teaching in there is applicable to all of us. But yeah. it is, again, this is you speaking to the audience instead of just saying in general, be a strategic visual communicator. You told you were speaking to photographers. You could make the same thing. You would use maybe different examples, but you you could do it for collage artists or, you know, but because you wanted to reach them, you made a course specific and you used examples that they would relate to. Same way, again, being welcoming, right? This is the no blazer. This is a photographer. You're speaking, you're talking. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is what you do. I, I love the way you praise me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to come and say there's a little bit, a little bit of arrogance behind it. Nobody does that. I wanted to do something that nobody had done before. And it is good, but not good, because it's when you create something that is new and that people have not heard of before, you face the challenge of um, that kind of, um, you know, when you innovate you, you mm -hmm. have not setbacks, but people don't always understand mm -hmm. and they don't always accept it directly, right? It, it was mm -hmm. the same thing for, for iPads and smartphone and everything. Yeah. And, 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 and every time you come with something new, people are like, mm, what is this? Um, so the, the, I wanted to do something that, that was not done before because when it comes to branding, everybody's like, your brand is not a logo. Um, or they come and decide, use storytelling. Um, and, and I was just like, I went on YouTube and I was just like, okay, when it comes to photography and branding, how did people, um, mix them? How did people fuse the, the two topic and the two concepts? And I was just like, nobody has ever, ever talked about how you can be more human and more personable and more relatable. Nobody talks about archetypes. Nobody talks about how you become a strategic thinker in your process when you want to take photo photos, right? And I think it's extremely important because many people think that the 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 photography of being a photographer as a job as a career is gonna die soon because we all have like smartphones that take super photos and everybody can take a photo and everybody becomes a photographers. And I believe that the same way it is for graphic designers, it is what you have here and how you process things that makes you great. Totally agree. And Paula also says it's not arrogance. It's a fact. And you should be proud of your work. I agree. I completely agree in that. Again, it is about our brains. Um, and Austin's also a photographer. So he, so, so he's works at a air conditioning. You can just to do stock, but how much better is it to hire a photographer and then if this is what you require your, you know, uh, air conditioning people to wear, then they will show up. It, it represents to your audience, the real people. It doesn't, everything doesn't always have to be so polished or cookie cutter. You know, mm -hmm. sometimes you just want it to be real. People are going to be coming into your homes. These are safe people that they are um, it, just having stock and with their wrench or something. I always feel like there's this one commercial. I think it's like Cascade or something. I'm like, that guy is way, he looks like an actor, like super handsome. I don't think he's a, a dishwasher repairman. 
you know, like they need to hire. Not that there aren't beautiful dishwasher repairmen, but I'm just thinking of somebody in their 40s. And this guy is like 25 and like ripped abs. I'm like, he's selling Cascade. Really? Like, I don't think like like I get it if it was like what it was about, you know, but to me, it was like this is a this is I don't I guess it's a distrust. It makes I, I don't distrust Cascade. I, I buy Cascade. So I shouldn't have used their brand, but you know what I mean? Like there's something in the visual um, of how we represent who we're, what we're using, what images we're using, how, what um, words we're using. I just think that that's that stuff with brand strategy. And it isn't just a, a one hour call. This is a a process that you do with someone, right? This is not just a, this is a, a longer process. And it's so important because it sets the stage for how many years. So how like a good brand strategist is um, setting the stage for you for the life of your company. Yes. And and then a lot of people, what uh, I think a lot of people are missing and, and that's something I really want to learn to do really greatly is employer branding. In my last job where I was let go, um uh, the 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 big issues that they were facing was the employer branding you what's have empl- to be what's to, that employer branding is oh, basically empl- your brand oh, from yeah. the inside yeah that internal right yeah it's the internal side of it oh so that's what you want to focus on I want to do both so I want to be able to come get a company and and that's why I don't want to I said I want to be small but mighty. That means I don't mm. want to have thousands of clients. I want to have just a few where we're going to do great quality work, even if that has to be over the long term. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you're going to get the great talent, the talent that you need that fits your vision, your purpose, and your values, right? That is going to be there and that's not going to come and go every month, right? They're going to stay for a long time and you're going to be able to have this talent serve your customers great, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think that's, that's, that's where it, it, you know, that, the, that place I used to work, like I said, like we were immigrants working, serving other immigrants, right? And I had a colleague who was Jamaican and she had it hard in our um, company. Um, she had personal issues and, and the company was not very, uh, supportive. Uh, they, they, let's say they didn't have the, the system to support mental health problems. Mm-hmm. So uh, they demoted her. She did not appreciate. So she quit. When she left, we lost three quarters of our Jamaican customers. Wow. Because she left. So when you know that you own an enterprise and that you have employees that face customers, know that these customers are people facing other people and that they create bonds. So when she left, no Jamaican customers were coming to us anymore. Whoa. Yes. And then when they were coming, they were asking just for me. So I think that Yes, we do business, but don't forget that business is about people. And a few weeks ago, Raxa was on here and he said, um, Araxa, I don't, 
Roxa is incorrect. It's Raxa. And I know him. I don't know why I called him that anyway. But he also he's like when he left uh, one of his companies, they emailed him um, and were like, whoa, what happened, man? And because he had built relationships with these mm-hmm. people. So if you it's it is trust, it is building that trust. But you are able to do that by observing but you're also able to do that in brand strategy. And I think of like a brand strategist as somebody that you employ, but then you also can come back to your, it's, it's somebody that's kind of checking in to see if you're uh, in the, yeah. it's a long-term relationship. It's not it just a, 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 a one-time roller coaster ride, right? Something that doesn't, doesn't, doesn't seem to exist yet, but I think is going to come around very soon. And that Marty Neumeyer has been talking about in his book is the CBO, which is the the chief um, brand officer. A lot of people are looking for brand managers, but it's not really the same. And as a brand officer, you're just doing the brand strategy constantly because a strategy is not set in stone. It's something that evolves, right? As long as your audience changes, you have to change as well. So um, it is something that you have to do over the long term and and, and yeah, you know what? I'm excited for what's going to come. Like, I cannot wait to get my first clients and to get that done. I'm actually working with Andy Starr on a pro bono project. Um, I'm going to talk about it more when, when I can right now. <laughs> I, I cannot say much, but it is a very exciting project and, and, and I can't wait to do more. Cool. Okay. So I want to make sure that they all know how to get in touch with you. So on Instagram, you are the Shari Muhima. Muhima. Yes. Muhima. Did I say it right? Not <laughs> no, those. Not okay. three. Muhima. Mo, mm. Muhima. Yeah. The Shari Forget Muhima. Forget the H. Yeah. yeah. Forget the H. Yeah. You Mo- don't pronounce the H. Not, not Muhima. It's Muhima. Muhima. Okay. Okay. Yeah. H is silent. Fabio. Okay. Um, oh, so... Uh, Fabio said, what would the difference be between brand manager and brand officer? So um, the, the, the brand officer is um, the chief brand officer. And that's why level C is called level C is so that they train you to become at the executive level. So the chief brand officer will actually be working alongside with the CEO and not below the CEO. If you want to talk about hierarchy, right? So the brand manager right now doesn't work directly with the CEO. That means the CBO would be doing the decision-making with the chief uh, executive officer, right? Which is not the case uh, of the the brand manager. The brand manager works more alongside, uh, and that's today with the the marketing team. And and that was what they do. I may be wrong, right? But it seems like they just check that everything is just, you know, according to to what has been. They're probably lower in. So uh, I think they they, totally uh, are. are, They're in the C-suite. So they're more... um, they're making decisions and they're kind of overseeing uh, they would oversee the brand manager, the brand manager yes. and the marketing yes. people would be underneath yes. them. Probably. Yes. Yes. The brand manager will be like, I, I mean, once you have the CBO, I don't know if you would need a brand manager. I may be wrong. That's something I still need to dive into a little bit deeper, but um, because a lot of people, you know, when they do jobs, they give titles like, anywhere anyhow and then sometimes they give you fancy titles and then you realize oh it's just doing marketing right okay cool 
Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's, that's the difference. The, the CBO would be working alongside in the C-suite with the CEO. Yeah, so they're more on that director level yes. uh, in, in directing that path. Exactly. Okay. So on LinkedIn, S, uh, if you just, uh, you could probably search her name and it would be fine, but it's also linkedin.com slash N-I-N slash S. M-U-H-I-M-A, all the links are down below and all the links are also um, under wherever if you're watching on YouTube, it's down below. It's also um, at the link that I'm going to give you in just a second. You can find this probably in about four weeks. If if you're watching this recorded, it's clearly not four weeks, it's on it now. But um, Shari, I can't, I'm really thankful. I think we got through most of them. Um, yeah. But not quite all of them. But I want to ask you this, uh, just as the very end, what motivates you to build your business? I remember when I was a kid, uh, I, I went to my mom and I said, I don't think I would want to work with anybody, for anybody. I, I want to work for myself. I want to have my own business. And growing up in Congo, I I would always be looking at the kids who live in the streets that we call Shege's. And, and they've always been my, my motivation. I've always wanted to work hard, make a lot of money. And my goal was always make a business, right? Build it, make money, lots of money. Then after that profit, I would have the freedom to use that money anyhow. Rather than having a charity, then you depend on investment and fundraisers and everything. No, I have my money to be able to build back home and invest there and support the people I want to support here. And, and also freedom because there is the, the social side and kind of cute side, but then for myself, I want freedom. I want a lifestyle that, 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 that is expensive. I love going out. I love traveling. And, and when I travel, I, I, I'm getting tired of the economy class. Um, and, and, and I just, I just really want to enjoy my life, but then I'm also very generous. So so there is the the freedom side of it. You know, when I told you earlier, being able to make the decisions uh, that make sense for me and, and is the freedom to be able to, to be innovative, to change, to disrupt, but also to love, to love my employees, to love my customers and be as kind as I want to be and literally do whatever I want, not in the crazy way, but I, I have... I have felt growing up that people are afraid to be kind and afraid to, mm. to truly, it's like business is not emotional, right? Whereas everything about business is emotional, especially the marketing side of it, right? When you want to get people to buy, when you want to get people to join you, everything is about the culture, the emotion and how you respect them and treat them. So, so that's what I wanted to do. I want to be, I wanted to be able to build something that, that would make sense according to my vision. So what do you think your greater purpose is? Because purpose was really important. You didn't want to work for that one company who had no purpose. It sounds very cheesy. When I turned 25, I woke up and I realized that my real purpose in life was to live a love story. And, and which literally means that it's, it's living love and it's, um, it's respecting other people. It's, it's, it's being able to, to be kind to other people, to inspire other people, to be helpful. And, and I grew up being extremely afraid and convinced that I was insignificant. Mm. 
And then when I turned 25 and, and I wanted to kind of live that love story, I wanted to be significant and meaningful into people's life as well. And because I'm a Christian, so it, you have that, it, it literally being a blessing into other people's life. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I love that. And I love you. You're so, I just, I love the way you look at things. I love that you challenge things. You've challenged me. You help me be better. You help me see things that I don't see. And um, Paulette says, we love her. And Joey's like, <laughs> she she loves the way you think. And Fabio says, thank you so much for sharing your story. You are an inspiration. That was not the first first person who said that. Sandra did awesome. Also, um, so Shar, thank you. Thank you for being willing to share hard stories, share things where it feels like you didn't fit in, but you, you are, you fit in, you found people you found. Uh, I, th- I mean, you fit in with me for sure. Um, <laughs> one day we'll get to hug each other in person, but I am very thankful. You're my friend and I'm thankful that you are living that love story. And I don't care if people do think that's cheesy. I think that is something to aspire to, to do more of. So I super, um, I love that. That is such a great, it's a, it's emotional. It's um, empathetic. It's a server heart, but it is, it's powerful to, to say that, that I don't think it's cheesy at all. So you could just cut the cheesy part out. Like if somebody thinks it's cheesy, then they're not the right people. You know, thank you so much for having me, Diane. I'm really, really, really grateful. And and thank you for the people who stayed up to now and the kind words. It really, really almost make me tear up. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really glad, Shari. Thank you. And I think next week I'm taking the week off. So I will... Um, we will be back in two weeks and I can't remember who's next. So I'm really sorry um, that I can't uh, promo it really good, but I'll send you some emails and we'll get back. But Shari, thank you for everything you do. Thank you for being my friend and thank you for being friends with so many, so many other people today. And thanks for everybody new who came. Thank you. Thank you guys. Thank you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye.